Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the CX Cast. My co-host joining me today is Martin Gill, VP Research Director at Forrester. Hey, Martin. Hello. Delighted to be here. Thank you. Thank you. And we're joined today by Tomas Huzon. He is VP Principal Analyst at Forrester as well. Hey, Tomas, how are you doing? Hello, everyone. Well, I'm doing very well. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for joining. We're excited to talk today about the green consumer and the green consumer paradox. Tomas, do you mind starting by telling us who the green consumer is? The green consumer is a consumer who cares about the environment, who cares about the impact of his or her consumption, and who is increasingly aware of the externalities, let's say, that uh, firms have when they produce good and when and when they consume good. So th- there is not one size fits all consumer. There is a very diverse profile and there are lots of counterintuitive facts that we've highlighted in the research because there's often this idea that the younger you are, the greener you are, which is mostly true, uh, but it doesn't mean that millennials, for example, are not on some aspects greener than Gen Z, or on the contrary, that the older generation do not care about uh, you know green consumption. And there are lots of diversity. I'm sure we're going to go into that in the different countries and different among, beyond the age groups in terms of the kind of product categories you buy and so on. I think what is the most important to remember is that consumer attitudes, behaviors, and expectations are evolving extremely quickly when it comes to green consumption. And you need to really go deep and understand that the, let's say, the the shade of green of your own customers uh, to really help them embrace sustainable consumption. Is it a linear thing? Are customers not green, green, very green? Or do they vary? Like I'm really green on my travel, but I'm not very green on my meat consumption, for instance. That's a very good point. I think as individuals, we all have our contradictions. And most consumers, if you ask them up front, you know, do you care about the planet and the impact on the environment? Yes, they will say yes. The question is, how do you act according to your values? And are your behaviors always in line with your values? And the reality is that more often than not, it's it's not systematically the case. So yes, you may decide that you're gonna you know take your bike to avoid driving your car, but at the same time, for whatever reasons, you may get some products delivered in the next fifteen minutes to your home, if even if you don't absolutely need them, and you know the impact on let's say, you know, eating meat and you try to reduce consumption, but it doesn't, I mean, we are adults and we can decide it's a choice of consumption. And the whole point is that we all face this sort of frustration, what psychologists refer to cognitive dissonance when it comes to these contradictions that at the end of the day, most of us have when it comes to what are the values we really care about and how do we behave individually from time to time. There might be some dissonance here. And the whole point is that brands should try to help consumers reduce this dissonance and and reduce the frustration that it creates for them. That to me was what most caught my attention, the idea that brands should help the consumer. I always thought it was the other way around where you have consumer demand and the brand tries to meet that demand. But Are you saying that there's actually a role in this that brands can play to influence the consumer? 
Absolutely, yes. And I think this is about helping consumers lower some of the barriers to sustainable purchasing. And there, we've identified in the research five different barriers. And I think this is definitely the role of, of brands and more broadly of firms to help consumers uh, really understand what's at stake. Otherwise, it's sort of the triangle of the, in, tri- we call this triangle of inaction. So, Citizens will say, this is not our fault, this is the fault of firms and governments. And governments will say, you know, this is the ongoing phenomenon. So the the five barriers are uh, the economic barrier, the fact that price is still very important and that sometimes you cannot afford to pay for a greener product or something that is being produced locally that is cheaper. Uh, So that's one barrier to overcome. There is the convenience barrier in the sense that at, at the end of the day, even green customers show a strong preference for convenience over sustainability. Sometimes you want things to be delivered quickly or you want some things to be easy to use. And you don't want to buy something at the detriment of the functionality of the product or some of the specific features. The performance barrier is also linked to that. And there is sometimes this perception that is sometimes a misperception that uh, sustainable products are less effective, which is not always the case. But you need to overcome that, that perception. There is the knowledge barrier, simply that because people do not always know the impact it has. Like if I'm using the latest smartphone, people may not know, you know, what's in there and the impact it has on the environment. And and the last but not least is the trust barrier because consumers really need to trust the companies that is pledging to come into the environment. And, and that's the tricky part. And that's why it's so challenging these days to communicate on green consumption and why it can also be a double-edged sword if you don't pay attention with the risk of greenwashing. So you mentioned the kind of actions that firms can take fall into broadly two categories here. One is communication, so communicating transparently, openly, authentically, et cetera, and educating consumers. But the other that our audience really cares about is experience. So like how do people buy products? How quickly is it delivered? Does it work? Is it functional? Where would you advise like a CX team or CX leader go at and really focus their sustainability efforts? Well, I think first and foremost, it's it's about customer understanding. So whether you name it customer insights or customer understanding, at the end of the day, it's what do my own consumers really care about? Uh, what are the key elements they take into account when it comes to purchasing a product? And what are the emotions that they have throughout the customer life cycle? And we've, we've recently, when I say recently, it's actually, I think it's today, literally today, we published a report, The Emotion of Sustainability, that touches on the different kind of emotions that people may feel during the entire life cycle, when they look for a product, the ingredients, the raw source materials that is embedded in it, done to the way the product is delivered at home. This has the packaging, they, you know, when you open the product, etc. And the kind of emotion can go from, you know, unease or tension to frustration to guilt. So there are lots, lots at play here. So it is first and foremost about understanding the friction that happens throughout the customer life cycle and trying to to reduce the friction and to, at the end of the day, try, and I'm not saying it's easy, but try to find the right balance between the features of the product, the price, and the key elements that matter to consumers. Because one of the things that kind of 
wouldn't say it surprised me, but it was a bit counterintuitive in the latest research that we published about the new green consumers. The fact, if you look at super green consumers, the one who care the most about the environment, roughly speaking, we're talking between 10 and 25% of the population, depending on countries, even these super green consumers, they don't want to trade off price or convenience. So even for them, it's going to be a choice. And so it starts really by understanding this throughout the customer journey and then applying the general, I would say, customer experience principles to smoothen the process and reduce the friction that inevitably will happen throughout the customer lifecycle. So there's a component here of making it easy for people to make sustainable choices, make the right green choices. But there's also a leadership component of brands you know, challenging customers to do the right thing. So one of the examples in the report I really liked was make the sustainable option the default option. So for instance, like switch off paper-based billing and just go straight to digital billing. Are there other easy things brands can do just to make it seamless sustainability for customers? Yeah, I think the default choice is indeed one way to nudge customers to evolve their behaviors. And Google is doing the same thing in the U.S. with Google Maps showing the lowest carbon route. And there are many, many other examples starting to happen. Are there easy ways to reduce the barriers? I think it comes down a lot to this notion of trust and transparency that, that we touched upon. Because let's be realistic, most firms have either started or will continue to pledge their ambitions for the planet and claim they are green. But most consumers are distrustful. It depends. It varies a lot by country, but they tend to be distrustful to this. And so you've got to reduce the gap between what the brand is saying externally and, and at the end of the day, how customers perceive the brand and how also employees leave the brand. So it's about reducing this gap between brand, customer, and employee experiences. I mean, I realize my answer is not, it's not necessarily that easy, but what matters is to be really consistent. It's about transparency. It's about authenticity. And it's not like a green campaign or something like that. It is something that really showcases and demonstrates that you really care about this and that as a company, you are going down a massive multi-year transformation journey to become more sustainable. And the firms that are better at this, they communicate very differently from others. They don't have the same kind of traditional, you know, ad campaigns. They do things very, very differently on that front. And they rely more on their employees as brand ambassadors, on their community, on the civil society, and obviously on their clients. They do a lot more co-creation than the other brands. I feel like the U.S. brands, we have some really big brands ripe for change here, but we don't do so hot in terms of being green consumers compared to certain areas of Europe. I mean, all three of us are based in different countries. Who were some of the winners in Europe and why did we see such stark differences in green consumers? You're right. There are significant differences across the world. And it is true that in the latest report we published, uh, the new green consumer, the Australian and U.S. consumers are least green. That's true. And European consumers tend to be more advanced. But even there, there are subtle differences. Like more often than not, there is this idea that German and Swedish consumers lead the pack, which is 
you know, true on many, many instances, but they may not be as green as stereotypes suggest. And counterintuitively, consumers in Italy and Spain have recently demonstrated more, I mean, greener behaviors. So that's my point to say it is evolving quickly. It is changing. And I would even argue, uh, I don't know what's the perception of you saying, I don't want to talk about geopolitics, but if you look at the Ukrainian war, uh, consumers in Europe are starting to realize that dependency on fossil energy is not just impacting the planet, it's also financing the war to some point. And they are changing also their perception and thinking, maybe I should reduce my gas consumption or my petrol oil consumption. So I think there is a lot at stake here and, and very different types of green consumers and different maturity of of audiences globally. Yes, definitely. That's so funny. Yesterday, I found myself for the first time looking at electric vehicles. <laughs> and <laughs> I did exactly the same thing, literally yesterday. <laughs> and I have 10-year-old I cars, so... <laughs> yeah, same here. <laughs> Sorry, I realized I, I did not answer your question about why. There are also regulation issues that are quite different. And I think the norms are stricter in Europe. The ambition uh, for climate change with the European Commission is, is also quite significant. Just for example, in, in, I'm based in Paris in France. And when you advertise for an EV these days, you have to show the impact of carbon consumption. And you have a label, your A, B, C, D, E. And so when you communicate for automotive brands, you have to show this label. So this is forcing you to communicate more transparently. And so that's also, I think, a driver of change as well. So did you see any notable backlash in any communities, like customers saying, I don't want you to ram your green marketing down my throat. I want to carry on driving my five-liter petrol car. Or, or, or actually consumers generally going in hopefully the right direction. Yes, there has been some backlash and there are always consumers who are, you know, a bit fed up with saying every single ad with some green in it. And that's why I mentioned they're a bit distrustful. Having said that, I think it's also a virtual cycle. Uh, the head of publicists recently made a comment in the press saying we've moved from an era five years ago where less than 10% of creative and communication briefs had ESG in it to an era and she was specifically referring to France, so I know we're maybe ahead of the curve here, but it's not 90%. 90%, 9 out of 10 briefs get an ESG requirement. And so it's extremely touchy, and it means that brands really care about that. And the more you communicate on this, the more transparent you are, the more you're going to nudge consumers into more sustainable behaviors. My point is to say there is often this misperception that marketing or communication is evil because it's about driving consumption and more consumption, which is partly true, but I'm not going to deny this. But at the very end, I think if you go back to the DNA of marketing, it is about understanding consumers, their psychology, the environment of the society, and the mechanics are still good to evolve people's behaviors. It depends on the goals and the objectives that you have. And these goals and objectives are going to, I think, evolve, at least in different regions of, of the world, because of the new norms and the non-financial KPIs that will inevitably be imposed on firms in the years to come. So you're saying because we've got good at influencing people, marketing can become a force for positive change, essentially. Exactly. 
But it doesn't sound like it's purely altruistic. It sounds like there are external forces at play too that are just going to require you to, if you don't want to get left behind, take action on this. Yeah, I think that's going to be the case. There are different ways to look at it. Either you say, oh, it's a regulation issue and we've got to comply with regulation and we'll do the bare minimum. Or you think less in terms of risk and more in terms of opportunity. And you say, why if we were to create a new product, a new offering, a new brand? What if we were to enter an adjacent market? What if we were thinking of it more of an opportunity to transform and we're not there yet. It's still the early days, but I fundamentally believe that when you look at sustainability, let's say sustainability was a big S. So not with a small S like environmental sustainability, but let's say the broader ESG spectrum, I think it's it's increasingly going to be a new wave of disruption and transformation for firms. And it's going to take years, obviously. But I think the most advanced and innovative players have embarked on this journey and are reinventing themselves, thinking less in terms of compliance and more in terms of opportunity. That's definitely, I think, the direction we're taking. So one of the really compelling pieces of data I found in the current research, the recent research, is this kind of, I don't know what you say, gap between what consumers say and what consumers actually do. So talk to us a little bit about that. Where's this kind of sustainability gap? Well, I think the gap is somehow inherent to our own behaviors and the fact that even if we are citizens and if we if we care about our environment, we may not always act according to our values for a different number of reasons. So we've touched on the different barriers to be removed, like the economic barrier, the convenience barrier, the performance barrier. And so I think this this creates frustration and it can even create anxiety and, and to some point shame for some consumers. So the point is to try to help reduce that gap by lowering some of the barriers. That's the reason why I think we touched alone on this notion of nudge, uh, because at the end of the day, when you look at gamification, it's a very powerful way to incentivize consumers, to encourage them in new behaviors, to incentivize them uh, in a different way. So I know more and more uh, firms, for example, that are rethinking the loyalty programs to make sure that it's not just a, you know, uh, for example, a specific program with loyalty points and you hear some points if you don't use a plastic bag or if you take specific actions. It's more broadly about how do I realign my values as a company, my DNA, my purpose to the customer experience vision that I want to deliver and to what I offer my consumers. So more firms, some retailers, for example, are increasing the durability of products and thinking more about the principles of circular economy in their offerings or loyalty programs. And they are helping consumers to change their behaviors by having a more holistic approach rather than the next best product or next base purchase, but more in terms of how can you help contribute to society? Does that make sense? Is that Do you get a different perspective on this? Because I'm sure you've seen a bunch of examples in the different countries where, where you guys are based. Totally. And it's, it's a lofty goal, but an ambitious goal. But I think that shift in mentality is going to unleash a whole lot of creativity as well for marketing leaders and for brands overall. So it's an exciting time to consider the space. 
Yes, I think it's it's about creativity. It's about a different mindset. And that's why we see few firms, but some firms leading the pack in reinventing themselves. It's exactly like if you step back 15, 20 years ago at the beginning of the digital revolution, everyone was thinking, oh, it's going to change business models and, and it's going to take time. Yes, we are at that stage now. And it requires a lot of education of, don't necessarily like this term, not evangelization, but, you know, employees, consumers and managers and leaders need to shift the way they approach uh, these notions. And the ones who do so, uh, I think they, they get a clear reward because it's easier for them to attract employees and, and keep them loyal to their company. That's also a key asset uh, in these uh, you know times where it's difficult to recruit and retain people. But it's also more broadly an opportunity to evolve your business model and to think differently. And when you have constraints, you have to be more creative. That's a basic principle of creativity. Mm-hmm. So understanding the green consumer and understanding the benefits, both direct and indirect, there's a lot of growing research here at Forrester to cover that. Where can our audience learn more on this topic? So, yes, we have uh, published and we will continue to publish a stream of research on this topic across the different roles. So, as I mentioned, in terms of two quick uh, next steps, there are two reports that have been published, one yesterday about the new green consumer, one today uh, about um, the, the emotion of sustainability. And there is a lot more to come. And we have a sustainability hub where uh, readers and clients can navigate or sustainability research across the different roles. That's a good starting point. And then obviously inquiries and guidance sessions are, are ways to go deeper into that and not stay too generic like we were a bit today. And if listeners have any questions on how to access that research, you can always reach out to the CXCast. We are at CXCast at Forrester.com and CXCast.com. Tomahizon, thank you so much for joining us today. This was a great conversation. Thank you. And Martin, great co-host as always. Thank you. Thank you. Delighted to be here, as I said. This episode is produced by Wesley Patterson. Thanks everyone for joining. Until next time. Bye-bye.